you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it and go to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, it'd be good to get one. Uh, we're going to be looking at a large chunk of Scripture this morning, and so it would be good to be able to see all of these words in front of you. And we'll be in Genesis 26, covering the majority of the, the chapter. We're on this journey. Um, I love the story of the patriarchs because it is like a journey. Um, they are often walking and, and wandering and landing in different places, and we're going to see all these different areas that they land in. It's it's like a long hike. I don't know if you like hiking. I enjoy getting out into the woods and hiking, and a lot of times you have a map, and you're supposed to trust this map that it knows where it's going to take you. Um, and sometimes it's hard to know and hard to read and see exactly where you're going, and you think there's a bend here, and you say, oh, yeah, I see that on the map, and that's not it, and you just have to keep going, and you have to keep trusting. Okay, this thing is going to tell me where I'm supposed to go. Um, and we're going to look at Isaac this morning, and Isaac is on a journey and he's walking, he's moving all the time in this journey. And he's, he's growing in faith, growing to trust the Lord. Let me just give you the big idea that I think we're going to, we see in this passage. And it's, it's very simple. We must walk in faith, trusting that God will fulfill his promise to bless his people with provision and his presence. That's a little bit long, so let me say it again. We must walk in faith. Faith is trusting. And as we are walking in faith, we're trusting that God will fulfill his promise. What promise specifically? The promise to bless his people with provision and his presence. We must walk in faith, trusting that God will fulfill his promise to bless his people with provision and his presence. I want to jump right in here and read Genesis 26, verses 1 through 33. Maybe you read this this week in preparation, but um, let's jump into the journey of Isaac here in Genesis 26. It begins in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, Lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. 
Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahazath, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm. Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. I love going through books of the Bible, because I would never pick Genesis 26 to do a sermon on. But there is so much wonderful truth in this chapter. I think the first thing that's interesting about chapter 26 is its placement between chapters 25 and 27. Obviously, that's where it is because it's chapter 26. Uh, But if you look at 25, we closed out chapter 25 with Jacob deceiving his brother and Esau despising his birthright. And it would make perfect sense for us to move right into the story that's at the beginning of chapter 27, which is where Jacob and Rebekah deceive Isaac and steal the blessing from Esau. That would It would flow perfectly. And yet, we're given a full chapter that describes these various scenes in the life of Isaac. We seem to have moved on from Isaac, didn't we? And yet here we have a full chapter about him making foolish decisions and then knowing the, the full blessing of God and God's provision and God's presence with him. So why is chapter 26 here? Why isn't it earlier? Why is it not before we start talking about Jacob and Esau? I think it would seem that on the heels of Esau's foolish decision to despise the things of God, to reject the blessing of God, we're given a picture of what he gave up. In fact, there's sort of bookends. If you look at the end of chapter 25, it's about Esau. And then the part we didn't read from chapter 26 has Esau making another foolish decision and going against the blessing of God. And in the middle here, we're given this picture of what 
Esau despised. Esau rejects the things of God, and he rejects God. And the God that he is shown to reject is this God who gives wells in the midst of the desert. It's a God who is always with his children, a God who is persistent when it comes to blessing those who are his. God is tireless in in giving good things to his children. This is what Esau gave up. And we are, in a sense, given this underlying question in the chapter in the, the whole chapter about are we going to follow the man of the world, Esau, or are we going to follow Isaac, the one who knew the blessings of God? Are we going to walk in faith, trusting that God will fulfill his promise to bless his people with provision and with his presence, or are we going to walk away? This is the case for faith, the case for walking with God, the case for understanding that God will bless those who walk with him. And it's meant to be compelling. It's meant to say, be like Isaac, don't be like Esau. That's sort of the the big thing within the context. Uh, Another thing to note is we sort of look at the chapter as a whole, and this maybe would be our first big point, is that obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. As we think about this, I want to consider what I would call the long shadow of Abraham. Uh, If you know the story of Abraham, then reading Genesis 26 will feel a bit like deja vu. In fact, deja vu the second time, because twice in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 21, we read about Abraham lying to foreign leaders about Sarah, his wife, being his sister in order to protect himself. In the first instance, when Abraham goes down to Egypt, um, he says he goes to Egypt because there's a famine, just like here in verse 1. And in the second instance, he is in Gerar. Um, with a man named Abimelech, just like here. This could, in fact, be the same Abimelech. Uh, it could be his son. It could be some sort of a title that is here. Uh, but either way, this, we're meant to think about Abraham, and Abraham's shadow is over this whole chapter. Isaac was not born when either of these things occurred, so Isaac wasn't around when his father was lying um, about Sarah. But it would seem that the saying, like father, like son, uh, is sort of playing itself out here, isn't it? That the failures of the father affect the son. If you're a parent, then you know that it's always sobering when God sort of opens your eyes to see how your children are struggling with some of the same things that you are struggling with. Um, that no matter how much we say, do as I say, not as I do, they sort of follow our actions. Um, of course, Isaac is responsible for his own actions. Uh, There's no sense in which he can blame his father for his failure in this area. In fact, the emphasis in this passage isn't isn't on the effects of Abraham's failures on his son, but rather it's on, on the blessing of Abraham's faith that extends out to his son. Abraham's shadow is not ultimately something that that casts itself over Isaac in some sort of haunting way. But rather, it, it is life-giving. It's, it's a blessing. His father is a blessing to him. We see the blessing of Abraham, especially in these two times where God shows up and reaffirms his covenant with Isaac. So the first affirmation occurs uh, as, a, as a famine hits the land. You see that in verse 1. There's a famine like the former famine, the one back in chapter 12. And, and it would seem that Isaac is going to go to Egypt, where the Nile Valley would have kept famine from holding a tight grip on the land. That was the place to go in famine, because the Nile was always fertile. 
And this is exactly what Abraham had done in chapter 12. But God shows up and the first thing he says to Isaac is don't go to Egypt. Stay here in the land of Canaan. Don't go to Egypt like your father Abraham had done. And Isaac obeys. What's interesting about Isaac, of all the patriarchs, Isaac never leaves the promised land. He's born in the promised land. He lives there. He dies there. And what's left of his bones is actually still there in the cave of Machpelah next to his parents. He never left the promised land. So he obeys this command. After that command, then God, God restates the covenant. The covenant that he had given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and then throughout Abraham's life. And he promises that his hand of blessing, the gift of the land, the gift of offspring, the opportunity to be a blessing to all nations, these will all be to Isaac. And he emphasizes the gift of his presence. I will be with you. I will be with you, Isaac. And why does God promise these things to Isaac. Why does the promise go to Isaac? Ultimately, it's, it's, it's God in his faithfulness. But look at verse 5. He gives all this string of blessing. And then he says, I will do this because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Why will God do this for Isaac? Because Abraham was obedient. Abraham's faithfulness is then scattered throughout the chapter. He just, again, his shadow is there. And then all the way down to verse 24, the Lord appears again to restate the blessing again. And it forms sort of this bookend in the, in the passage. And God reiterates his promise that he's going to be with Isaac, that he's going to bless him. Isaac shows up at the beginning of that promise. I am the God of Abraham, your father. And he shows up at the end. He says he will do it. Why? For my servant Abraham's sake interesting abraham's sin affects his son but that's not the emphasis rather the emphasis is that abraham's obedience brings blessing and not just to isaac but but on his his whole family and on the generations after him including us abraham's faithfulness under god's sovereign hand preserves the promised seed so that we can know the gift of salvation in christ so that we might be included in the, in the nations who are blessed through Abraham's obedience. We are blessed through the faithfulness of the generations before us. And now we are called to be a blessing. Just as our sins and our failures can cause pain and hurt to the generations after us, the faithfulness of the people of God in this generation are a blessing to the generations that come after us. Obedience brings blessing. We have the opportunity to be like Abraham. We can be a blessing to all those who come after us. I think we often think that we live in some sort of vacuum. You know, whatever I do, it affects me, right or wrong. It doesn't really affect anyone else. But as Christians, we, we are, are called to bless others through our obedience. As we walk in righteousness and holiness, we are the light of the world pointing others to Christ. We are the salt of the earth. We preserve the world from corrupting completely. Your obedience, my obedience, has far more reaching effects than we might imagine. Your stand for truth, the purity of your life, the preservation of your marriage covenant, the faithfulness of this church to the gospel of grace, and countless other obedience, acts of obedience, whether they're big or small or minuscule, they all bring blessing into this world. We've said before, there's no such thing as victimless sin. 
In, in other words, my sin always affects others. But it's also true that my obedience affects others. My obedience brings blessing, not only to me, but to others as well. I think we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the one greater than Abraham. He is the greater Abraham. And his obedience is the source of all blessing, isn't it? My ultimate hope is not in the obedience of Abraham, because he failed. And my ultimate hope should never be in my own obedience, because I will fail. But my hope is in Christ. And his obedience brings me the blessing of salvation, his righteousness, his sinlessness, his fulfillment of the law means that God can bless me with eternal life. And his obedience, even to the point of death, means that he can rescue me from eternal death. Praise God for the, the, the faithfulness of Abraham, but all glory to God for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He was faithful to the point of death. And he lived a righteous life so that I can be blessed by God through his faithfulness. So in this long shadow of Abraham, we find this truth that obedience brings blessing. But it's obvious that the story has shifted to Isaac. It's not about Abraham anymore, no matter how much his shadow is here. And again, we see threats to the continuation of this blessing. There's always threats. So let's think secondly about enemies of the blessings of God. Obedience brings blessing. Secondly, enemies of the blessings of God. I want to mention two. The first is found in this incident in, ver- in, this incident in verses 6 through 11, where Isaac lies about Rebekah being his wife, saying that instead she was his sister. Why did he say that? Why did he do that? Look at verse 7. It tells us why. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Why did Isaac lie? Because he was afraid. Fear. That's the first enemy to the blessing of God. It's the enemy of fear. See, if you write down, as we think about these two enemies, the first is the enemy of fear. You might put in parentheses internal. This is something that's internal within Isaac and internal within us. It's the enemy of fear. Let's be honest about this situation. It is rotten what Isaac does. It's a bold-faced lie. When when Abraham lied, it was a partial lie because she sort of was his sister. But Isaac, is this is bold-faced. It's completely disrespectful to Rebekah, to their marriage covenant. It's deceptive to Abimelech and to the, all the people of the land of Gerar. puts them in, the, in, in potential harm. Who is number one in Isaac's mind when he lies and acts out of fear? He's thinking about him. He's thinking about me, myself, and I. He thinks nothing about his wife. He doesn't think about the pain he's going to cause her. He doesn't think about the threat that this poses to their marriage. He has no concept about this blessing that he's supposed to be to all nations. God is not in his field of vision at all. Rather, he is thinking about preserving his own life, and he's scared. When we fear others more than we fear God, we make foolish and stupid choices. Jesus tells us that we should not fear those who can kill the body. Who are we supposed to fear? We're supposed to fear God, the one who can not only just kill the body, but who can punish us for all eternity. To live with reverence and respect for God, not not for others. We're motivated by a, 
by fear we make these foolish choices? Are you motivated by, motivated by a, a selfish fear of others? Or are you motivated by a selfless fear of God? God is so gracious here, isn't he? He allows Isaac's sin to be exposed. We don't think about the grace of God in that. But that is God's grace. Abimelech looks out a window. He sees Isaac laughing with his wife. The King James is sporting with his wife, whatever that might mean. Whatever laughing is going on, it's obvious that it's not a brother and sister joking around. Okay, this is clear. There's a play actually on Isaac's name. What does Isaac's name mean? It means laughter. And so Isaac, in some ways, is acting out who he really is. He'd been guarded around everyone else, but now he's acting out who he is. In a negative sense, though, Abimelech looks at his laughter, and what does Abimelech see? This is mockery. He is mocking us in the way that he's treating us. So Abimelech calls Isaac in, and Isaac, who's supposed to be a blessing to the nations, Isaac, who's supposed to be a representative of God in this land, gets a lesson on morality from the king of the Philistines. That's sadly ironic, isn't it? It's embarrassing. And yet again, how kind God is. God has preserved their marriage, the purity of their marriage. Nothing bad has happened in this. They no longer have to live in the secret of their sin. They could be who they were intended to be. You know, fear not only leads us into sin, but it keeps us in sin. Fear keeps us from getting out of sin. When we lie and we live in this lie before others, we're ashamed of our sin and we hold on to it. And that that sin suffocates us then. But when God in his grace exposes the sin, it's painful. But it brings life. It It brings blessing. It gets us out of fear. I think that's what happens here. When the lie is exposed and Isaac lives in the truth, when he walks in the light, God blesses him. You see it right there in verse 12. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. One seed brings forth a hundredfold. Abimelech allows uh, them to stay in the land and God blesses Isaac in all these amazing ways. His crops increase, his wealth increases, his flocks increase. He's walking in faith rather than in deception. And when that happens, it brings blessing. So there it is, plain and simple. If you follow God, he blesses you with material wealth. Is that what this is about? Some would say there's a one-to-one correspondence here. Walking with God brings material blessing. Health, wealth, and prosperity if you follow God. We've got to identify this. And it can, right? God provides for our needs. He blesses us in other ways as we walk in faith. But certainly in the Old Testament, it's almost always the case that God reveals his hand of blessing in material ways. That's very often how he acts. And even in the New Testament, and in our day, the blessings of God can be seen in in material wealth. That can happen. But not always. And in fact, not often. In fact, Jesus calls us to forsake many of the comforts of this world. He assures us that following him will be met with opposition. It will be met with persecution. That we are, in fact, to leave family. We are to leave wealth and to follow him. We should remember that for the Christian... The promised land, which that's the blessings that Isaac is tasting right here, right? The blessings of the promised land. For the Christian, the promised land doesn't represent material wealth now. It doesn't represent the realization of the American dream. It represents heaven. It represents the new heavens and the new earth. That's what the promised land is for us. We know that all who have given up their lives for Christ 
will truly find them. And if we've given up these things, Jesus has promised you will receive them all in this age and when? In the age to come. One day we will know the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth. And that is our hope. But the greater blessing of God is, as we walk in faith isn't seen in material wealth, actually. The emphasis of this chapter is on the presence of God. God's presence is the greatest blessing that is here. This is the blessing that cures Isaac of his fear. The presence of God is the remedy for our fear. Isaac is learning this, and God makes it clear all the way down to verse 24, after he's been blessed in all these different ways, after he's walked in obedience. Look at the promise there in verse 24. The Lord appears to him and says this, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Isaac learns, I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God is with me. That is the the consistent promise of Scripture. That is the consistent cure to the enemy of fear that gets into our hearts. God encourages Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm going to be with you, just like I was with Moses. You saw how I was with Moses? I'm going to be with you in the same way. Don't be afraid. Jesus, when he's getting ready to leave, and he gives the disciples this task to take the gospel to all nations, what does he say to encourage them? He's leaving, but he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will always be with you. That's the promise he gives to us when we are afraid, when we're placed in situations where fear wants to overrule our faith, when we're scared, when we panic, and we just start trying to think, what can I do to solve this problem? God comes to us and he says this promise. It's Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. God is with you. God's presence always brings blessing, which is something that we can't always say about material wealth. Material wealth doesn't always bring blessing. In fact, the second enemy of the blessing is a result of Isaac's wealth. It happens in verse 16. It says, Abimelech says to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Abimelech had been deceived by Isaac, but he had allowed him to stay in the land, and now his wealth is becoming a problem. It's a threat. So the second enemy is the enemy of envy. The first enemy is the enemy of fear, which is internal. The enemy of of envy is external. It comes at us from others. Isaac leaves as he is asked, but he doesn't go far goes to the valley of Gerar and settles there. And in this new valley, he begins to reopen the wells of his father Abraham. They had been stopped up by the Philistines, probably to hinder Isaac's growth. But it seems almost that there's this picture, isn't there, of Isaac going back to the the blessing of his father. He's sort of reopening all these blessings that his father had known as he walks in faith. He had tried to go his own path, but now he's saying, no, I need to walk in the faith of my father. He receives the gift of heritage. He he chooses to submit to God's way of of blessing rather than continue to try his own ways. But even as he opens up the wells, the Philistines continue to show their envy. They they claim the water that Isaac finds is theirs. They They claim all the reopened wells. And then twice, Isaac puts in all of the hard work of digging new wells. Think what that would be like. You don't have a big drill or a backhoe or anything. You're digging wells. 
He does it twice. He digs the well. Twice he finds water. And twice he's forced to abandon these wells because of the envy of his enemies. He names the first well Essek, meaning contention. He names the second well Sitna, meaning hostility. His enemies, they're suffering under famine and hardship, and they cannot accept the fact that Isaac keeps finding water in the desert. They are languishing with hunger and thirst. And this guy, every well he digs, there's water. And so they just come up to him and say, this isn't yours anymore, it's ours. The blessings of God in our lives can bring envy. They can bring hostility and contention. I'm not talking about material wealth at all. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the blessings of peace, of grace. I'm talking about the forgiveness of our sins. That we walk through life with with hope. That we find joy in all circumstances. That whether we have a lot or we have a little, we have joy. We hold on to holiness. We live lives of righteousness in a world that doesn't. And the enemies of God respond with hostility. I think some of that hostility is rooted in envy. This isn't to lord ourselves over those who have not come to know the grace of Christ, but rather to say that people are wandering in the desert of life. It's a famine. They're tired and they're thirsty and their material wealth isn't bringing them happiness. And the people of God, we are in the same desert. But we keep finding water. We keep, we keep being satisfied in the midst of the difficulty. We know who Christ is, that, that Christ is, is living water, that he is in us this well that springs up to eternal life. And some people will come like the woman at the well and say, give me this water to drink. But others refuse to look to Christ. They respond with contention. They respond with hostility. Still, Isaac shows us how to live at peace with all people. His faith isn't shaken. He continues to move on. He knows that God will bless, God's blessing will follow him. God's presence, his hand to bless, is not limited to Gerar, is it? God's, God's hand to bless, his presence goes with his children wherever they go. And eventually he digs a well. There's no fighting over that well. He names it Rehoboth, which means room. Kind of like, finally, I have some room. <laughs> There's enough space between me and my enemies that I can have some peace It's after he's given this room that God appears to him a second time and reaffirms the covenant. And Isaac responds in verse 25 by building an altar and worshiping. He's in Beersheba now, where his father had spent a lot of time. And he builds an altar and worships. And he worships God, saying, God is the one who has blessed me. God is the one who has given me wells in the desert. And in that place, you see at the end there, verse 25, there Isaac's servants dug a well. They start digging. And then we go into this next and final scene, which let me give you the last thought. Obedience brings blessing was our first thought. Then we thought about some of the enemies of, of the blessing. And then finally, let's say God's blessings will be acknowledged by the world. God's blessings will be acknowledged by the world. It's the blessings of his presence. His servants are digging this well, and Isaac has a visitor. Look who's here, Abimelech. (laughs) Abimelech shows up, and what's Isaac's response? Isaac's response is what our response would be. 
what do you want? <laughs> Don't you hate me? Didn't you send me away? What's Abimelech going to do? We might think Abimelech is going to say, this well is mine. <laughs> That's what continues to happen. But instead, he's come to acknowledge the clear fact that God is with Isaac, that Isaac is the blessed of God. Look at his words there. Verse 28, they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. They want to make a covenant now with Isaac rather than send him away. They seem to think that Abimelech thinks that he has done nothing but good to Isaac, which is debatable probably. But Isaac lets them stay with him, and in the morning he blesses them with a feast, after which they make this covenant. So amazing that Abimelech changes in this way. It makes me wonder, do people see plainly that blessing in our lives? Do people see the blessing of the Lord is with us? Again, it's not material wealth. That's, that's not where the blessing is. In fact, if, if the blessing is material wealth, then people will just come to Jesus to get more money. God's not glorified in that. But if they see blessing, they, they're going to, to, to see that we are not living in the, in the fear of others, but we're living in the fear of God. Maybe that's the reason people don't see blessing in our lives. They see we're living in the same fear that they are. We're afraid of everything else. We're acting in the same way that they are when, when difficulty comes, rather than trusting God. Maybe they don't see it because they're still filled with envy. They're still angry at the blessings of God in their lives. But I think Isaac shows us that if we're faithful over the long haul, it may be that others slowly see the blessings of God on us as individuals, on our church, on followers of Christ in general. Those who once persecuted us might be coming to partner with us. They may wonder about the peace that we have in trouble, the hope that you have in difficulty, the way that you can live at peace with all people, even your enemies, when they harm you, the way we look to coming blessing. All of these things might say, God is with you. People come and say, there's something unique about what's going on in your life. I love the way this chapter ends. We see Abimelech and those, they, are, they depart, they leave that day. And it says that same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. I, I imagine Isaac's servants coming to him as, as maybe Abimelech is, is walking away and his servants come and maybe they're covered in mud or something, you know, because they've been working hard. And they say, you won't believe it, Isaac, we found more water. <laughs> Every time we dig, we keep finding water. And God again blesses Isaac. And it's the truth of Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue us all the days of our lives. That's the picture, I think. From beginning to end, Isaac is blessed. The, the chapter begins with famine. And what's it end with? It ends with Isaac hosting a feast for his enemies. The famine surely meant that water was, was scarce. There's a drought but every time that Isaac digs a well in the desert, he finds water. Every single time. We watch Abimelech, this powerful man who scolds Isaac and then kicks him out of the land. And by the end, Abimelech comes back to Isaac and says, Would you please be in a covenant with me? 
He recognizes the blessing of God in Isaac's life. And then you see Isaac. What a change in Isaac. He was a man who was filled with fear. He obeyed God initially. He stayed in the land, but then just didn't know what to do when things got tough. And by the end, he's this man of faith. And again, we're faced with this question. Do we want to be like Esau? Esau, who despised and walked away from a God who gives well after well in the desert and who exalts us above our enemies. Do we want to be like Esau? What did Esau do? Esau did what Jeremiah talked about, what sin is. He forsook God, the fountain of living water, and decided to go out and dig cisterns of his own, broken cisterns that held no water. Do you want to be like Esau? Or do we want to be like Isaac? Do we want to know the provision and the presence of God? If we want to be like Isaac, we have to walk in faith. To walk in faith, trusting that God will fulfill his promise to bless his people with provision and with his presence, whether now or ultimately in eternity. Let me give you four questions to close. Maybe these will drive these truths deep into our souls so they can bear fruit. The first is this. Do we believe that obedience brings blessing to me and to others? Do we believe that obedience brings blessing? Maybe that should be to us and to others. Do we believe that? That, that it's, And I think then if that's true, if we believe that, then as we are faced with the option today and throughout this week of obeying God or disobeying God, then we can say for the good of of my own soul, but also for the good of my family, for the, for the good of my church, for the good of my city, for the good of my nation, for the good of, of all nations, and for the good of generations that will follow, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to obey God, because blessing not only comes to me, but, but it comes to everyone else as well. So we are encouraged to obey God's voice. Second question, have we let fear rule us? Have we let fear rule us? We talked last week about how life is reactionary. And if we live in fear, then we will react in ways that displease God, in ways that don't honor God. And if fear rules us, then what's the remedy? The remedy is this truth, that God is present everywhere. And his special presence is with his people. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. You have nothing to fear. God is always with you. Fear not. I am with you. Do we believe that obedience brings blessing? Have we let fear rule us? Are we facing envy and opposition? Maybe you're facing envy and opposition from people. That you are walking, you are trying to live a life of godliness and in your workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood or wherever it might be, you're facing opposition for trying to walk in a way that pleases God. People are upset. And it may be envy, it may be other reasons, but we are called to live at peace with all people. And we should not be surprised when others persecute us or harm us because of God's blessing in our lives. Fourth, is it clear to others that we are children of God? Is it clear to others that we are children of God? Not because of material wealth, not because we have lots of sheep. If you had lots of sheep, that would be a little weird probably, I think. Uh, not because you have a lot of money or a nice car or a big house. That's not the ultimate, or a, a plane to fly on the weekends, you know. 
Uh, it's not our material wealth, but rather it's, it's that we live lives that are filled with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit is blossoming in our lives in the midst of a world that is a desert so often, where we should be disappointed, where things do go badly, but yet we walk in faith and God continues to bless us. Those four questions. Do we believe that obedience brings blessing to me and to others? Have we let fear rule us? Are we facing envy and opposition? Is it clear to others that we are children of God? And ultimately, we walk in faith. And as we do that, we're, we're looking forward to a day, aren't we? We're looking forward to a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A day when, when our faith becomes sight, when there is no more fear, when all of our enemies are cast out of the land, not us, when we dwell with God in the true promised land where we never cease to drink from the river of life, we never cease to eat from the fruit that is coming from the tree of life. And until then, we're called to be like Isaac. We're called to walk in faith. We're called to trust God that he will fulfill his promise. He will bless his people with provision. And he will bless us with the greatest blessing that we could ever imagine. The blessing of his presence. The presence that he seals for us through the death and the resurrection of Christ. That he gives to us when he sends his spirit to live with us. Let's walk in faith. Let's trust God seek his presence and know that he is always with us let's take a moment of silence and allow God's word to minister to us and then I will close us in prayer Lord God, we confess that this week we have walked with Esau at times. We have despised your blessing. Thank you for this reminder this morning of what we are giving up when we do that. Lord, I pray you would fill us with fresh faith to say, Lord, that you are good and that you pursue us all the days of our lives with goodness and with loving kindness. Lord, your desire is to bless your people. Lord, help us to live in a way that, that blesses others. Lord, help us not to live in fear, but to know that you are with us. Help us not to be shaken by envy and by opposition, but to live lives that clearly show that we are your children. Help us to walk in faith. Lord, thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.